Welcome to the Modern Elder Woman Podcast. We are here today to start a conversation, to assemble resources, and to build a community. This podcast is for empowered women in midlife and beyond who are preparing for or in the midst of a powerful third age. My name is Amy A. Palmer. I am your host and facilitator for our conversations. All women are welcome here. And we will be highlighting and spotlighting all the women over 45 who are living an untraditional lifestyle, whom I like to call blueprint breakers. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Would love to hear from you, love to hear your feedback, ideas, suggestions, or if you'd like to be part of a future episode, you can reach me via email at amy at amyapalmer.com. I am so excited and honored to bring you this week's episode, Becoming Invisible. I speak with award-winning author, college educator, contributing editor, and TED Talk speaker, Akiko Bush, as we discuss the phenomenon of becoming invisible as we age. Our conversation highlights the theme explored in her book, How to Disappear, Notes on Invisibility in a Time of Transparency, which was published in 2019. Akiko is also the author of several books, Incidental Steward, Geography of Home, Writings on Where We Live, The Uncommon Life of Common Objects, Essays on Design in the Everyday, and Nine Ways to Cross a River, Midstream Reflections on Swimming and Getting There from Here. And most recently, Everything Else is Bric-a-Brac. When I was a young woman, an older female, a very accomplished mentor of mine, was telling a small group of us how she has now become invisible in the world. I listened intently. I was confused by what she was saying. (laughs) I mean, this woman was very well-respected, highly intelligent, successful, and strikingly beautiful in my eyes. I didn't fully understand or agree with what she was saying. She told us, when I turned 50, people just stopped noticing me. I go to a store and wait to get customer assistance, and the clerks literally look right through me. Forget trying to get a drink at a bar or to get attention from a waitress. I was skeptical, and I didn't give it much thought uh, until years later when I experienced it myself uh, around my mid-40s. I realized people were treating me differently and they were slower to interact with me, if at all. I've thought that this would be a good topic for the modern elder woman. I'd like to give a special shout out to a friend and listener of this podcast, Cindy, who sent me a link to Akiko's article, uh, The Invisibility of Older Women. I was struck by her beautiful writing and her overall perspective on this topic. I am thrilled that she was willing to speak to me today. Enjoy today's conversation. Let me know your thoughts and feedback. Please join our Facebook group, The Modern Elder Woman Podcast. I'd love to hear your own experiences with this. Have you noticed a change with how people notice you or interact with you? And what what are your thoughts on how Akiko has reframed this experience for us? Enjoy.
Well, hello, Akiko. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Welcome. Hi, Amy. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been looking forward to this conversation all week. Um, as I mentioned to you, I was first introduced to your work uh, by actually one of my podcast listeners um, sent me a link to um, your article, The Invisibility of Older Women. And mm -hmm. so I thought to, to sort of get our conversation going, I'm really curious, what led you to explore the topic of invisibility? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Um, uh, that article was excerpted from a from a book I wrote called How to Disappear. Mm -hmm. um, and let's see, how did that start? Um, okay, so so the default position is that we all live to see and to be seen, right? We know this. Being seen, being recognized, being acknowledged is is vital to human experience. Um, you know, social visibility is um, is is crucial to our sense of happiness, the sense we have of ourselves. And when it diminishes, we suffer. The gaze is is vital to human connection. Um, I mean, I think the Me Too movement and um, the Black Lives Matter movement have the power they do because it's their aim to put populations often unseen and unrecognized back into social and political visibility. We all need to be seen. This is a given. Um, but I think also we're living in a time of, you know, kind of hyper visibility, you know, um, you know, we're kind of living in this age of transparency and this, you know, kind of increasingly visual culture with social media and surveillance economy and technology companies that routinely harvest user data and facial recognition systems. And this whole host of other conditions that have really eroded our traditional notions of privacy and, that, and then that put a really um, uh, um, disproportionately high value on public identity. And so I kind of, you know, I just kind of wanted to rethink that a little bit. Um, I think when identity is derived from projecting an image in the public arena, Something can be lost, right? Some core of mm -hmm. interiority, some some mm -hmm. sense of identity is diluted, some sense of authority. You know, all of these kind of diminish or seem to be a little, or have the possibility of being a little bit diminished. And so, I wanted to kind of explore that. So, I, I started to look at different realms of of human experience in which invisible invisibility and reticence and, and discretion are um, looked upon as a positive experience, right? Not about, you know, being overlooked or discounted, but kind of being a condition of, of authority of their own. And so, you know, I kind of looked at different kinds of experience. And mm -hmm. of course, sooner or later, that led me to to women and, you know, especially older women feeling invisible, which is sort of this cultural phenomenon. And it was, um, yeah, so that was how I got to that. And um, yeah, it was pretty interesting mm -hmm. because I think often, some, you know, sometimes um, when women talk about being invisible, it's it's negative. You know, they they uh -huh. feel discounted, overlooked. But yeah. in my experience, also there were there were plenty of examples of women um, feeling invisible and it actually being a positive circumstance. So I wanted to I wanted to look at both of those. Yes, yeah, and that and that's really what resonated with me. The the article led me to your book, and I just. 
and I found it interesting how, I mean, you approach the topic of invisibility in a wide range of areas, you know, how it plays out in the world, in nature, in geography, and, you know, as we yeah. age, and then, and then specifically, you know, with, with aging, you know, with aging women. Um, yeah. And some, some of the examples that you gave were just, I mean, were just really, really um, intriguing, like, particularly when you, when you spoke about um, Virginia Woolf and Mrs. Dalloway. Um, would would yeah, you mind sharing yeah. a little bit about that example? No, I would, I'd love to. <laughs> um, yeah, so so I you know I read um, I reread Mrs. Dalloway. I mean, I had read it certainly as a teenager and in my twenties, um, but I'm in my sixties now, and of course, like anything you reread, you know, decades later, it was it was a completely different book. Um, and, you know, it begins with Mrs. Dalloway, with Cliff, Clarissa Dalloway walking down the street, you know, and she's buying flowers for her party. And she's just kind of thinking, um, but she's she's feeling, um, you know, unseen and unknown and unnoticed. And she talks about how women, especially women of her age, often are known only by their husband's names or by their gloves or by their shoes or, you know, or something like that. Um, and she's And she's kind of thinking about that, but it's not. Uh, you know, the, the, oh, poor me, no one's looking at me. It's not like that at all, because she finds herself thinking that while she may be unseen, she's also become more empathetic. Um, I think Virginia Woolf uses the phrase, she has um, the gift of knowing people by instinct. And she considers um, how her diminished visual status doesn't so much um, limit her life as it kind of sustains and informs it. And um, I, I found, I mean, it's such beautiful writing to begin with, but I just think that thought is so important and so deep and so interesting and, and really important to pay attention to. Um, and um, yeah, if I can just go on about that for, for a moment or two, um, mm -hmm. you know, Virginia Woolf is such a prescient writer. I mean, you know, she talked about things that, you know, social scientists are finding true a century later, right? And she's, she's, just, she's just a writer talking about a woman walking down the street. But this experience of knowing people by instinct is something that um, scientists have, have come to much more recently. Um, and not to, you know, not to go on too much about the science, but um, I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit about the um, you know, about the research and, you know, what, what they found is that it is not background or personal disposition so much that determines our de degree of altruism, but rather um, yes. our prestige and reputation. There's a, a social psychologist named Anaki Note. I think I'm pronouncing her name correctly. And, you know, and then this was her finding. I mean, she, she, she found that members of, um, disadvantaged social groups, right? Ethnic minorities, those with low socioeconomic status, often women tend to have a greater sense of fairness and empathy. You know, and they, they do these various experiences where, you know, somebody is in the hallway and, and drops, you know, an arm, a handful of pencils. And those participants who have been assigned kind of a lower ranking in the department help pick up the pens while those with more eleva elevated rank don't bother. You know, it's kind of experiments like that. Um, but what they fi find is that, um, yeah, it's kind of lower social prestige that um, 
that, that kind of is a signal of empathy and altruism, which is kind of what she was what she was getting at, you know, a century right. earlier in her writing. So I found that, of course, I mean, I love Virginia Woolf, but of course, I yeah. found that completely fascinating. Well, you yeah. you inspired me to put that on my on my in my queue for my reread <laughs> list for the holidays. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. Because it, it, yeah, yeah, it's so in, I mean, it's so thought provoking to just really think about how how she shared this like a century ago and how it's coming, you know, how it's still present today. And um, even like when you connected, you connected that sense of invisibility to altruism and generosity and connection with other people and social empathy, like all all of these uh, really important values. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more on because you, 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 you've mentioned how it helps with connection to others. Um, I, I'd yeah, love to hear a little yeah. bit more about that piece. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's so interesting, you know, because I hadn't, I hadn't really, this wasn't something I was, you know, kind of deeply literate in until I started doing the research. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the research was, of course, not simply reading Mrs. Dalloway, but, you know, talking to psychologists and, mm-hmm. you know, really kind of um, delving into it from a number of different perspectives. And I spoke to a, um, a psychologist named Allison Carper, who uh, works in New York, um, and she she was really interesting. She talked about difference um, between a woman seeing herself um, as an object or as a subject. And I think this is, mm-hmm. you know, in a roundabout yes. way, kind of answering your question. Um, yes. You know, it's like such a cliche, right, at this moment in time and in our culture to talk about women being objectified. I mean, we all know that. But she mm-hmm. talked, she sort of talks about the difference between um or she talks about, you know, how it's possible for a woman to objectify herself, you know, and to sort of, you know, kind of buy into that, that sort of, um, um, you know, that kind of thinking. And, um, you know, if you do that, um, you, you, um, then it does, you're, you know, you're an object. So it does bother you not to be seen, right? Then when you become Mm -hmm. 45 or 50 and, you know, people stop paying attention to you, you know, you sort of think, oh, I've lost my value. Who am I? You know, why is no one looking at me? Why is no one paying attention to me? But she talked about, um, she talks about, you know, learning to see yourself not as an object, right? But as a subject. And I think, I think what she means by that is, is a subject is, you know, someone who um, experiences her own agency, you know, and who's aware of how, how she can, um, you know, can and does have an impact on others and how she is likely the, and ultimately the author of her own life. And she's aware mm-hmm. of the responsibility that that carries. Um, and I think, I think she, you know, she said something about, you know, without fully developed um, interiority, you know, it's very easy to objectify yourself. But, you know, if you can manage to see yourself um, as a subject rather than an object, then um, you have a greater, yeah, just a greater sense of, um, a greater sense of agency and a greater sense of being. So, you know, I thought, I thought that was really interesting. I mean, and, and you know, just getting back to, Virginia Woolf, I think that's a little bit what she's talking about. Um, I just want, I know there's, um, what does she say? She says, um, 
I'm just trying to find a section about uh, in Mrs. Dalloway, but she she has mm-hmm. she says she has the oddest sense of being herself, invisible, unseen, and unknown. Um, and she says, oh, let's see. Oh, I can't seem to quite find it. But she she talks about having you know finding in herself a greater sense of empathy and a greater sense of. Um, she says, oh, here it is. She says. She considers the odd affinity she had with people she never spoke to, some woman in the street, some man behind a counter, even trees or barns. And, you know, so Clarissa Dalloway is recognizing how her unseen status has, um, it's important to her. It's important in the way she relates and connects with other people. She doesn't have to put herself first. She doesn't have to, you know, make, she's not making any statement. She's just there. She has a... Um, a, a keen sense of her own presence. And I think, um, you know, she, Virginia Woolf doesn't talk about this really explicitly, but it, you just get it through this really dazzling writing, you know, of this older woman unseen and yet affecting the other people, um, the people in her life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Um, I, in your, in your TED talk, you mentioned something that was, um, a, a, a revel. You, you said it was a revelation for you as as you were doing your research, and um, what, what you said is you don't have to be seen to be real. Um, and yeah. I that th- that just gave me chills. Like it's because you know we keep, we often say how you know we want to be you know seen, heard, understood. Like it sort of, and, and so hearing that just sort of like challenged that original thought of you have to be seen and heard and to be understood. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to to share a little bit more about that thought of you don't have to be seen to be real. Yeah. You know, I just, as I said, I, you know, I just think we live in a time of such, um, you know, sort of this hyper-visual moment where, you know, where the great conceit of our times is that you just have to have this really, you know, kind of out there, um, visual public persona. And if you don't have that, um, you know, you know, how many followers do you have? I mean, you know, how many Mm -hmm. clicks do you get? You know, our sense of being is, or or one's sense of being can often be wrapped up in that. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, people are going to look back on this time as just being completely nuts. But um, (laughs) I mean, one of, you know, one of the things, and I won't go down this rabbit hole too far, but one of the things I found that was really interesting for me when I was, you know, putting this whole book together was just how children engage with invisibility, right? I mean, children have invisible friends, they use invisible ink, they, you know, they, they make up, you know, they have these capes and hats and rings and cloaks that they think can make them invisible. I mean, they're really engaged with the, with being unseen. And I think for kids, it's kind of, you know, they're just beginning to understand what it is, you know, what that sense of autonomy is and that you can, you know, again, about being real, you can, you can have a real sense of being in a real life that's apart from your family, apart from your parents. And often um, kids, kids kind of come at this through, you know, through their, you know, through engaging with invisible friends or, or, you know, just going to places where they think they can't be seen. And I just think there's kind of an adult corollary to that. You know, I think if you think about that and remember that, then, 
you know, it sort of reminds you of the power of, um, of, of being unseen, of keeping, or, or not necessarily just being unseen, but keeping certain things private. Um, I talked, I talked at some length to, uh, you know, another, a, a child psychologist about this. And he said, you know, when kids or and he's talking about teenagers at this point, but he, he talks about, you know, when you're posting everything on Facebook without being really discriminating about what you're sharing, you kind of lose some part of yourself, you know, and what's really important is learning how to tell the difference of what you want to share and what, what you want to keep to yourself. And that's really a sign of, you know, kind of, um, you know, forming yourself or forming your adult self, not just putting everything out there, but really being discriminating in, mm. in what you choose to share. And I think that's, um, you know, Facebook dep- depression and, you know, the, the sort of social anxiety that comes from putting everything out there. Um, you know, we're all familiar with that. And I thought that was really interesting, you know, that mm-hmm. choice of when to be seen and when not to be seen. And I guess, you know, I guess that's what, you know, so much of what I'm, I was thinking about really comes down to that is having that real sense of um, choice of when you're seen and when you're heard and when you're, you know, you're making your presence known and when you're not. And um, yeah, I think that's sort of what I was after here, because I just yeah. think we're, you know, we're all just encouraged all the time to just be out there and put everything out there. And that you know, it's really a matter of, of choosing. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's a, it's really a sense of freedom, isn't it? I mean, it, it's just a, a new sense of freedom to just have, have that choice. Um, on yeah. I think that's see. a great yeah. way of putting it. Absolutely. The freedom to, to, to share what you want of yourself and the mm-hmm. freedom to, um, to not to do that. The, right. the freedom to, right. to keep it for yourself, you know? So, yeah. And he, yeah. And this, this, you know, he was talking about how, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to have a healthy relationship with other people unless you're aware of making those choices. So I thought, you know, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and that's, that's what compelled me to reach out to you because I know, I know for myself and for many of the women who listen to this podcast, um, many of us have gone have gone through um, a bit of a grieving process, you know, like like you mentioned, some, somewhere around you know mid forties into fifties, when we we actually start to notice that we're not being seen or noticed, and you know, and and there's definitely some grieving that happens there. And so when I was reading your work, the reframing of it, it just it, it just gave me a new a new sense of, you know, optimism and, you know, it was just very inspiring um, to, to hear it framed that in that way. Um, and so I'm curious what you think, um, is there anything else? So for women who are sort of experiencing what they consider the downside of, you know, I'm becoming more invisible as I'm getting older, you know, do you have, is there anything else that they could possibly take away or learn um, from the things that, that you've found in your research that would sort of help them in their reframing process? Well, I, um, let's see. Um, 
I, I think that even those women who, or those, those people who have a sense of, uh, you know, a sense of loss or a sense of grief, um, it being, um, you know, it being unseen, I would suspect that, you know, if looking at it carefully, they might find that they also have this more, you know, a kind of more fully developed sense of interiority than maybe they had when they were 25 or 35. I mean, you just, you know, you've lived your life, you've had this experience, you know things, you know, you have a sense of assurance about things. And, um, you know, living with that, I think, is is a great gift. And Mm -hmm. it requires, I guess, a kind of... um, I don't know, maybe shifting, you know, a, a kind of, I don't know, just a kind of change in perspective that's a little bit more interior. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just think it's, um, it's just not as bad as you think, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, know a, mm-hmm. I know a number of women. I mean, well, you, you know, you always hear about the women who turn 50 and say, oh, no one's lo- looking, no one's listening. But, you know, I also know a number of women who've just said, oh, my God, it's so great. You know, mm-hmm. no one's paying attention to me. I can just do what I want and think what I want. And, you know, I don't have to explain myself. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to, you know, put myself out there in the same way I did when I was 30. You know, I can just, I can just be, you know, I just have a sense of presence and, um, you know, there's a, I think there can be a, a sense of relief in being unseen because, you know, again, not to repeat myself, but again, you have a choice, you know, at a certain age, you realize you have a choice of how to be seen and that, and there's something really liberating in that choice. Mm, yeah. I'm not, I don't remember if it was in your book or in your Ted talk, but you, you, you referenced, you said something about how it's not about the, that you're being dismissed, ignored, disparaged, you're actually being, I, I wrote it down here because I thought it, it, that you said you're being psychologically absorbed into the world around you. I mean, and I just, I just are psychically absorbed. That's what I'm psychically absorbed into the world around you. And I just thought that was just such, just such a profound way of um, expressing it, that I really, really appreciated that. Well, yeah, you just, um, I don't, you know, one of my favorite expressions is something I, I heard an Episcopal minister, minister say once, but he said, learn to love yourself, then forget about it and learn to love the world. And, you know, I just, mm-hmm. I just, that's kind of something I try to live by, right? I mean, you know, know yourself, you know, go through all of that, of course, but then, um, you know, it's a big world out there and mm-hmm. um, find a way to be engaged and be absorbed, you know, and be connected in that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Akiko. This was, I just thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to share with us. It's been, it's been very inspiring. Oh, thank you, Amy. It's been a delight speaking with you. And I hope, um, yeah, I, I, I hope the, the message gets out there. It's really, it's, I, it's one of my favorite topics. So thank you. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Modern Elder Woman podcast, Becoming Invisible. And a special thanks to this week's guest, Akiko Bush. 
I will put a link to her website in the show notes. You can find her at akikobush.com. That's A-K-I-K-O-B-U-S-C-H.com. And check out her book, How to Disappear, Notes on Invisibility in a Time of Transparency. And thank you for sharing this episode with your friends. And please go in and rate, review, subscribe, download, and join our Facebook group, The Modern Elder Woman Podcast. This is Amy A. Palmer, your host and facilitator, and I look forward to speaking with you soon.